What will you do to unlock innovation? In today's fast-paced world, innovation might not be enough. Tomorrow's pioneers of change will need to be agile, able to adapt, and committed like never before. Your host, Santa Vending, invites you to listen in and join business leaders from around the world as they share their visions for success in our future business challenges. Welcome to Mind Innovation. I'm your host, Sana Vinding. I'm always excited to learn. And in today's podcast, we're going to talk about what determines whether a startup will fail or succeed. I want to welcome Kim and Todd Saxton, the award-winning professors at the Indiana University Kelly School of Business and also co-authors of The Titanic Effect. So welcome to, to both of you, um, Kim and Todd. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to the chat today. And I really like your background. I have to say that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the fun part of, of this, both of our backgrounds is my mom took those pictures for us from a cruise ship. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's always connections here, right? And being a, yeah, one unit here. So let's, let's jump in it. So my, my first, I want to know about passions and, you know, I'm here because I have my passion about this, this podcast. So I, I would like to, to ask each of you, you know, where, where does your part, where does your passion from entrepreneurship and startup, where, where does that come from? I guess we've done this too much. Yeah. So I think, first of all, it's important. We are business school professors. So part of our passion is about teaching. And after we got our PhDs, I spent about seven years in industry and I really loved it because I was managing a team and I felt like I was still a teacher, but, you know, it's like I had a, a longer term relationship with my class and I still am close with the folks who worked for me and they reach out to me and whenever they have questions in my area of influence. So it's kind of funny. But once we started teaching, Indianapolis is a hotbed of startup activity and we just had people reach out to us and ask us questions and we would start to take coffees. And the next thing you knew, we had several hundred of these coffees a year and we were getting, you never slept. No, <laughs> <laughs> we could have not sleep. Um, some of them were lunches to be uh, fair. Oh, okay. Yeah. And but, you have um, to have the beers at the, the end of the night or the drink yeah, okay. that offsets the caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything's a balance. And so we started working with groups that support startups. And so Todd was the president of the Venture Club of Indiana. And then, yeah. um, will you tell more about all the things that you've done in the startup space, Todd? Sure. Well, and uh, we are passionate about startups, both of us. And I think we have a special love for life science and, and healthcare related startups. Um, but more broadly, uh, and, and I think one of the things that at least I find most appealing is uh, and this gets back to kind of the core passion. I actually, I love learning as much as I love teaching. And yeah. every time I'm working with one of these really talented entrepreneurs who has great ideas, I'm learning about their markets, whether it's, you know, shoe inserts or uh, diabetes and, and community activities. And, you know, it's just, there, there's such a wealth of, of learning that happens yeah. when you get exposed to these entrepreneurs, their passion about what they're doing uh, and and it, to some degree, at least, I'm not becoming an expert, certainly, but I'm learning about these markets, these challenges, these problems that people are trying to, to deal with. Um, and we've accumulated enough experience ourselves that we're often or sometimes at least in a position to help these people along their journey. And that's the second piece that I, I think we're both very passionate about is being able to enable the innovator. And, and so when we think of the entrepreneur, it's typically about the 
the de novo enterprise, you know, the startup. And certainly that's a big part of what we do. Yeah. But there are corporate innovators, people at very large organizations, people at universities who are equally passionate about and committed to innovation that don't necessarily want to start the next unicorn or, you know, big company that goes through an exit, but they want to contribute to changing their own organization or changing their market or helping their company develop new services or new products. And at least some of the, the barriers or what we call the, the icebergs or debtbergs that they run into are very similar when you're innovating in a, a larger organization or, or as a startup. So uh, that, those are some of the things, at least, or threads building on yeah. what Tim is saying that I think we're passionate about. Yeah, no, I, I and I can see the passion, right? That's also one. That's why I ask it because it's so good to see when you're like, oh, you know, this is my topic, and I love to learn, and it's it's so good. So when you just said, right? So so why are startup? What why why are they failing? Because it's a high percentage, right? Was is it seventy percent or how how yeah. high? Typically, 70% over a 10-year period, as much as 50% in a three- to five-year period. And it's pretty well studied by a number of groups. And there are two main factors that lead to a failure. There are a whole bunch. You wouldn't call it a dozen. But the two yeah. biggest ones or most frequent ones are, first of all, there's really no market for the product. So that's a hard yeah. thing about innovation is, I have this really cool idea. I want to share it. And then you find out, well maybe you're the only one who had that problem or actually to create the solution is so expensive that nobody wants to pay for it. Yeah. So poor product market fit. And that's one of our debtbergs as well is, you know, truly understanding what is the problem you're solving? Is this a problem? A lot of people have, is this a problem people are willing to pay to fix? Yeah. And the second one is they run out of money. Uh (laughs) It takes a lot of money. I was just speaking to an entrepreneur last week who said that um, he struggled with some feedback he was given because basically he was told, get a couple million dollars and start advertising. He's like, as if. Oh, well, go to the tree, right? The money tree. (laughs) (laughs) But Todd talks more about why that whole investment kind of falls apart. I don't know if you want to add something about that piece, Todd. Yeah, so a, a, a couple pieces. One, it, those numbers and those percents are pretty well established. But as you can imagine, it's way more nuanced than just what percent starts or, or fails. Because first, it's like what percent even actually gets off the ground, right? There are so many ideas on the you know back of the napkin. As Kim knows, sadly, I, I've got a thousand ideas that you know I've I've even gotten what 20, 30 websites. Uh, but they never even started. So they never got it, had the opportunity to fail. Um, but you know, that's, that's part of how my mind works. And it's part of the validation process, isn't it as well in that beginning or that messy upfront? Yeah. And so in academia, we call these the nascent entrepreneurs, the people who could be starting something, but the far majority actually don't. Right. So enabling them. And so those aren't counted as failures, but to me, it's it's a lost opportunity uh, in in some ways if they don't choose to move forward. So, like from a very like academic in some ways perspective, like what do you call the start of an organization? Is when you have a website, when you sell to your first customer, when you incorporate? Like, what's the defining moment that says this is the birth of the venture? Right, but on the other end too. There's not a really defined dying of a venture yet. You know, sometimes you pull the plug and it's it's pretty obvious. But there are a lot of zombie ventures out there that are on 
you know, they should be on life support and they're still moaning and, you know, moving forward with one person and the website, yeah, they get like two hits every three years or something, but they haven't officially pulled the plug. So, you know, that whole life and death of a, a venture to me is a really interesting thing. Yeah. But the piece that that I think we've tried to focus on in, in our, our work, our, our helping educate entrepreneurs working with startups are the pieces that are inside the control of the entrepreneur. There's a lot that the entrepreneur can control in terms of um, how long it takes for, for business to business customers to start up and like going viral. Everybody would love to go viral, right? But there's no secret formula to, to how you get that to happen. Um, no. And it's a lot less in fashion over the last year to go viral. I've noticed the, the use of that term has diminished quite a bit. Um, but there are these things that, that are decisions that entrepreneurs make that can lead to their undoing and, and either never get off the ground or a short-lived venture. And that's what we've tried to capture in the Titanic effect or what we call these debtbergs, these decisions in these different oceans that kind of systematically um, keep the, the, the venture from moving forward and, and perhaps even sink it. And those are within the control. Those are decisions that entrepreneurs can get better at uh, and, and other innovators. And, and that's what we're trying to shed a light on. So I'm, I'm curious about, because you have so much experience here as well and knowledge. So the skill set, if you say that's a handful of skill set that will be really good for you if an entrepreneur, right, to succeed. Have the skill set, have that changed over the last couple of years and especially the last two years? Gosh, that's a really good question. No one has ever asked us. So I think we're both thinking quickly That's about a, the yeah no yeah yeah, so yeah I think some of the skill sets haven't changed I mean for one curiosity is always yeah. inc incredibly important like why is this this way is this the yeah. best way you know why doesn't this work how come nobody's ever done this before I think a lot of those uh, sometimes they're called discovery skills. Um, is how you discover opportunities yeah. is by stepping back and asking some really good questions. The second one is about networking. If this, this pandemic has taught us more than yeah. ever that we need to be networked to each other to understand what's going on, to see different parts of a problem in ways that we've never seen them before. Actually, the beauty of the pandemic is that we can do that network in so many different ways. I yeah. mean, it opened up. It really did. This yeah. book came about from 20 years of these meetings, right? Yeah. And these were places we drove someplace and bought something and da, da, da. And um, so now, I mean, we're not driving places. We're still yeah. talking to entrepreneurs. I know we didn't <laughs> stop talking to them, but we occasionally get together. But honestly, yeah. I we can actually, the first two years of the pandemic, I would tell you, we were crazy with yeah. supporting and advising and you know, trying to help think, how do we break through? What does this look like? What do we do different? Yeah. Um, and, and your ability to reach out to a broad, a broader audience to network is really high now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's open skills. up to the whole world, right? It's oh, yeah. around the whole world. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I would add to that, that, um, it, the journey of the entrepreneur innovator is is in the way we frame it is it's much more about navigating uncertainty than taking risk. Um, and, and there's an important difference between those two. First, actually risk triggers a different part of your brain, but it's a more calculative assessment. It's, it's probabilistic. It's like rolling dice or playing cards that, um, you know, these are games not of complete chance 
and there are odds, right? And if you understand those odds and you might make bets uh, accordingly, whereas navigating uncertainty, you don't know the distribution of probabilities. You know, we throw out averages of like 70% of startups fail, but um, what leads to that and what success looks like varies uh, very dramatically. Um, if nothing else, uh, the COVID in the, in the last two years have dramatically increased that degree of uncertainty and some entrepreneurs have been in a position uh, you know, one of the things we counsel folks are look for points of inflection, right? Opportunities where something outside of your control, exogenous occurs that allows for a rapid growth or escalation. So if you look at some industries um, like virtual healthcare, telemedicine, things like that, yeah. uh, food, food delivery, um, online, you know, you look at Zoom and what it stopped did during that period and what's happened since, you know, it, all of those went through this very positive inflection point. If, on the other hand, you look at restaurants, things that travel, things that required, you know, face-to-face -face, uh, contact, those suffered a, a dramatic, uh, you know, negative effect. So, um, and to some degree, that is good luck. You might just call it good luck, right? But to some degree, that's also chance favoring the prepared mind that if you're able to deal with uncertainty and you look at how dramatically increasing uncertainty like COVID has creates opportunity as well as creates uh, challenges, um, you're in a better place to be able to not just navigate, but take advantage of that uncertainty for a positive inflection point. And I think we've seen both sides of that equation over yeah. the last two years. Yeah, it opened up. And so back to, um, to, to the failure, right, where Kim said that, you know, validate your idea and not just have it in your head and saying, oh, I want it, right? What about, you know, <laughs> who you're going to sell it to? Um, how, how important it is, is it, you know, with the willingness to, to observe or to listen and to learn? Because I'm sure to be an entrepreneur, you also need to be stopping and, and saying, I want to do this, but I'm working and doing it. But you also need to have the ability to learn and to reflect. Um, so so is there a, what, what, I don't know what you call it, but, but is there a, there has to be a balance in it that you need to be open and, and to learn. And have you seen any conflicts or any examples here, you know, where you're like, oh yeah, this was just a dead end. Yeah. So it's, that's really hard. I think one of the hardest questions we think that entrepreneurs should sometimes step back and ask, and it's really hard is does the world need this startup? Yeah. Right. So like, at least like, need it today, right? <laughs> yeah. We see sometimes these zombies, it's sort of like moving forward is so difficult, but you know, stepping back is also really difficult. And so we like to think about how to look for signs. Um, and some of these signs can be pretty inexpensive. So like Todd and I have been working on this case for an entrepreneurship class. Actually, Todd's mostly working on it. And I'm trying to help him. Um, and one of the questions he asked was, uh, well, like, so how would we size? It's an idea about altitude sickness that, you know, mostly occurs in mountains over 9,000. Um, feet. And we came across it because we like to ski. And so um, it, it's a problem skiers have, right? Because when you go above 9,000 feet, then all of a sudden you get this altitude sickness and you don't feel great and you've wasted your vacation and all that. Yeah. And so I just pulled up like Google trends and I looked up for a couple of keywords like altitude sickness, treatments for altitude sickness. And then one of the things, there's a drug for it. And there's also like this thing called an oxygen concentrator. And like we were just making little hypotheses about what we thought the data would look like. And on about half the things we were wrong. right? <laughs> so it's like, look for, but there are other things we we're right. And so it works yeah. for the case, but it like made us change our assumptions of like, yeah. Oh, well I thought, 
you know, like we thought it would be more prevalent in the winter than the summer. It's more prevalent in the summer than in the winter. Yeah. So because so more people, some more research and, and looking into it. And, right. and looking at it from different, maybe perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So you looked like, in one perspective, and then if you're saying it's more in the summer, right? Or like one year versus three years, so you see trends. Yeah. Or we looked at different geographies, so we thought about all the mountainous areas, and it turns out that like one set of words are popular in four states, and the other set of words are popular in four different states. You know, so there's like all these kind of nuances that you can get. Um, a lot of people use email in their marketing. One of the things I noticed as I was talking to a startup recently is that their open rates for their emails are increasing. Yeah. Well, they recently changed their target segment. So, you know, that's validation. Like if nobody opens your emails, that that's a clue. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know, you have to look at your conversion, you know, typical conversion rates in marketing at like 3%. So if you're, you know, well below 3%, you've got a problem. If you're well over 10%, you, you know, Hey, that's a really good sign. That's a happy problem. No, it's not a problem. Can I follow up on that a little bit, Santa? Just yeah, because sure. I think yeah. your, um, the original question was, was spot on in terms of how entrepreneurs can be curious, but also ask the right questions. Yeah. And Kim referenced discovery skills, which is based on some work with uh, Clay Christensen and, and colleagues, Jeff Dyer and, and others, um, who looked at these innovator, what they call innovative IQ, innovator IQ, and what are some of the contributors. And one of those is op- observing. And entrepreneurs want to change the world, right? They're passionate. They want to get out there and they want to, they want to share their solution. But just sit back and watch first for a little bit, understand the problem from the customer's perspective. And that's one of the the big debtbergs that we see entrepreneurs, particularly technology-oriented entrepreneurs face, is like, they want you to see their solution. Like, look at this, look at what I've done, I've solved your problem. And the customer's like, what problem? (laughs) What? I didn't know. I didn't even know. Because the entrepreneur never sat back to kind of, you know, understand the problem, understand the customer's perspective how they refer to the problem, how they talk about it, what's the key language that they use, so that when they start to put together that solution, they're putting it in the frame of reference that the customer understands yeah. instead of their own frame of reference. So, um, you know, pulling together some of that, observing, questioning, the importance of those and curiosity with why do some startups fail? You know, what are some of the challenges entrepreneurs face? Um, I just want to connect that thread before we move yeah. on. So. Yeah. So, so is it also important that, so instead of, cause I know I jump to conclusion or, or, or saying, oh, this is the solution and then saying, okay, fine. Right. But let's just jump a little bit back and then rethink it again or observe more. And then, and then you can reframe and find out if it's actually yeah. um, the, the right like, solution or, or maybe modify it some. Here's the sliced bread. Uh, yeah, but I didn't even want a sandwich. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Find out what the customer wants to eat before you <laughs> offer them sliced bread. Uh, yeah, but then um, when when you have to expand as an entrepreneur or adding people to your team, how how do you then navigate and find the right people? Mm. That is so hard. And we do actually have a little blowout in the book and also on our website, a blog post of when should you hire your first yeah. employee, right? Yeah. That's That's the hard thing. Early on, of course, you know, every entrepreneur and even later, I mean, you can talk to entrepreneurs who've been at it for 10 years, they'll tell you like chief bottle washer, chief janitor, 
chief accountant, you know, chief salesman, <laughs> like there's a lot of hats that you yeah. definitely get to wear, but there is a, a cost for you wearing all those hats. So you really have to step back and ask yourself, is the business generating enough money that the time that I'm doing those things are revenue lost? Yeah. Right. So if my time could be better spent at something else, then it's time to figure out how to hire someone. So like I started a program at the Kelly school. So I like to innovate, you know, in education and I was the recruiter. I was like everything. I was the teacher, recruiter, everything. And so I, I was like, I'm not a great recruiter. That's not my skill set. That's not my job. You know, I told my boss, we need to hire a recruiter. I hired a part-time recruiter. The ROI on him was like tenfold, maybe 15. Single highest ROI for the school in their marketing activities. (laughs) Simply because we said, hey, this is not an effective use of my time. We could make more money if we use somebody else's time. You have to use that same sort of discipline to say, what are the things I'm doing that are big time sucks that we're not getting an ROI on? And how do I farm this out? And maybe you start out with outsourced. Yeah. So like less risk in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe that, and maybe because you only have part-time work um, and, you know, maybe that person eventually comes on. Um, one, our favorite local stories is uh, we have a, a company that started an email marketing and they went public and then they got by, got bought by Salesforce. And the person who was the first employee yeah. from the first email company is still here in town, still does tech consulting, is now, um, you know, a vice president or CEO, I can't remember, of, uh, of a branch of SAP. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I always go back to what made them decide to hire you? You know, she has a great story to tell. And that that first employee can go a long way with the company. Yeah. We worked for that company up until about two years ago. So like a better part of 20, 25 years. Wow. Right, that's long. That's long. Yeah. How, how important is this then for an entrepreneur or a startup, you know, to have good mentorship? And, and is it something, something as well where they're like, I don't have time. And then they're just running where they should have stopped up. What's, what's your advice here? You should tee up our paper, yeah. Todd. So uh, in the book, we actually talk about um, three different categories of activity, and we actually reference mountain biking. We we did a mountain biking trip in Moab a few years ago, and went through a training camp. And the the instructor uh, who was great, and she she talked about uh, the the constant mix uh, when you're mountain biking of scanning ahead enough to know where the trail's going, so you can start to make subtle adjustments and and not go off trail. But you also have to look at the now. You have to look like you know, two to three seconds in front of you um, to make sure that like, if you put your foot down or if you fall, you're not falling into the cactus or, or the poisonous snake or, you know, something like that. And those are good things to know, arguably. Um, So that, that constant scanning back and forth between the now and the next, but in the book, we talk about another layer, which is the navigation piece, the stepping back and looking is, is the venture moving in the direction that we want it to. And, uh, how are we getting there? What are some of the key strategic pieces to make sure and some of the metrics to know whether we're actually on course or not? The equivalent of mountain biking, of course, is are you doing a one and a half hour ride or a three hour ride? And is there water in between? Or what do you need to plan for to be able to actually survive the, the whole journey? And what does success in the journey look like? And that's where mentors and advisors, I think, can be really helpful 
is enforcing that mechanism kind of step back and think about the whole business, where it's heading or where it's not heading and get advice and, and connections. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are so busy with the now and the next that they never step back for that navigation. And that's a great role that advisors or mentors can play, I think. So how do you go and find the mentors? Well, interestingly, we have a paper, it's under submission. So we crossing our fingers, it'll do well, but kind of the big results or key insights that were in there um, were that uh, existing entrepreneurs who invest are actually really good people to look at. And so sometimes you feel like, so in our local community, we have two or three organizations that bring people and resources and previous entrepreneurs together to share stories and talk about how do we do this better and all that. And I think sometimes a, someone who's already been successful, a serial entrepreneur, might be kind of intimidating for a new entrepreneur to talk to, but actually they're the most likely to help you. Yeah. As they understand exactly what you did and now they have money that they're deploying. So they they put their investor hat on, they put their founder hat on, they know how hard it was, they know what kind of persistence you need, and they're going to be the ones who are going to give you the most help. Um, there's that whole social contract of paying it back, you know, yeah. somebody helped them. And so they want to help people. Um, and so those, so get in those entrepreneurship circles. Most large cities have them. If you don't, your chamber of commerce, your co-working spaces, I mean, the beauty of entrepreneurs is they find each other. They're a tribe unlike uh, any other, and they, they love to support each other. And so you just go in there and you start asking questions and you help them want to help you. Yeah. And that one of the great things about the entrepreneurial community, and this is true of investors, you know, like angel groups and, and even VCs, it's, it's not a zero sum proposition. If you co-invest with someone, the venture wins, everybody wins. Uh, and, and you're not trying to protect an, an investment from, I don't want anybody else to invest in this because we're the only ones who want the returns. The, the startup uh, investment community doesn't work that way. And, and in our experience, fortunately, the entrepreneurial community doesn't work that way, that people are very generous with their, their time and energy. Um, the, the, a twist on that that I would add that I think is really important is there's an assumption under going and seeking mentoring or advising that the entrepreneur is self-aware enough to know what their gaps are. And unfortunately, that is not always the case. So I think thinking through systematically, um, like what are my strengths? And so for technology-oriented entrepreneurs, they may know a lot about the technology itself and development and product and developing a prototype, et cetera, but have significant gaps on the funding side, on the sales and marketing side. Uh, and and those are, are places where they could get help. The more sales or marketing oriented entrepreneur that identifies an opportunity probably has some significant uh, deficits in the technology and product development side, how to package that, what that looks like. So first of all, just being self-aware and recognizing where you have gaps and, and there are mechanisms for actually kind of looking at that across those different domains of industry expertise, technical expertise, sales and marketing and, and funding, financial expertise uh, and how those all work together and, you know, recognizing where you particularly need help so that you're, you can be a little more intentional about that, that networking to fill those gaps. Yeah. 
So yeah, an important skill, right? <clears throat> an important skill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, really hard talking. to develop self-awareness if you completely lack it. And there are oh, yeah. some entrepreneurs we have tried for 20 years and it's still like <sighs> And so I was just talking with a startup this week. It was one of my students who took the leap and joined a startup and, um, and he came from sales and they were from tech. And so as he's like sharing things with me, I'm like, I'm still not seeing marketing here. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, sales and marketing are related to each other, but we need like some marketing strategies. So he sent me something from that he had done like from my class. I'm like, you know, this is a really good start, but you no, know, don't take this the wrong way. It's written by a sales guy, right? So we're kind of sort of missing the so what, right? So we yeah. have some really nice features. And so what do those do? Yeah. And what's the benefit to it's, people? Yeah. Oh yeah, the benefit. Yeah, like, yeah, the benefit. Um, what about goal setting? Because again, right, you have to look ahead and we did already talk a little bit about it. Um, but how do you how do you set up like realistic goals, or how do you advise and saying and guide and saying this is this is realistic, or bringing them down to earth a little bit, if that's needed? Very hard to bring entrepreneurs down to earth, and you definitely look like a Debbie Downer if you try. So we try not to do that so much. <laughs> we we try to help them. What kind of wording that. are you then using? <laughs> so let's play this forward. What does three months from now look like? Yeah. What would be some key results that we would expect? Oh, so you really want to get these advocates. Okay. What does it take to get 10 advocates? How about a hundred advocates? How about a thousand advocates? Uh, yeah. So what are you going to do to you know, like, we try to get it to be tactical almost like let's go from this, you know, big pie in the sky to like, what does that really mean? Let's get some head counts on this. Yeah. So you say or asking that, the right questions or asking more questions to get the thought. Yeah. So you, it, right? you need 32,000 transactions. All right. So how many transactions does any one of your individual customers do? Okay. Yeah. 1400. Okay. So, you know, divide 32,000 by 1400. How many do you need? Do you have the resource? You know, that kind of, we work yeah. backwards from that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So changing the world. Uh, is kind of a hard thing to measure and may take a, a little bit more than a few months, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. while, you know, that's where the entrepreneur may be, as, as you know, Kim and, and you were both suggesting, kind of dialing that back to measurable steps. And the really good thing about the story that that creates is, at, at least in our opinion, that's what investors and supporters are looking for, is someone that is able to say, you know, initially, here was our goal, and we wanted to get 10 paying customers in our first three months. And we only got seven, but here's what we learned we were doing wrong. And here's what we changed. And by the way, in the next three months, we got another 20 paying customers. Okay. So that's, that's what people are looking for. They're not looking for the, the answer necessarily, or, you know, the, the up and like the up and to the right, yeah. they're looking for the entrepreneur that is systematically making hypotheses, is going to get some things wrong. How do they bounce back and navigate that uncertainty so that they're better at it the next time yeah. and are continuing to learn? Um, and, and I think some entrepreneurs are, are very afraid of sharing where they miss the mark. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the biggest mistakes they could make is embrace that and show how you responded, learned more and, and got better. And that's what people are going to invest in. Yeah. 
It is. Yeah. A really great example of a company we've been working with for the last year or two. Um, they started out wanting to develop something that would be a device for uh, humans and the area of contraception, uh, of uh, not contraception, of, of getting pregnant. And the opposite. To, yeah, the opposite <laughs> of contraception. And they were just seeing so many barriers. And so we started asking, well, what about animals? Are there animals where we have these same issues that maybe there's a reasonable scale? And so they jumped into an, one of these accelerators to like learn how to pitch and all of these kinds of things. And, and they didn't get any money, but then as they were working on this and kind of dialing it forward, they got a, a vet school on board. They got a vet to work very closely. Yeah. With them. They got accepted into a animal based, um, uh, accelerator Forward. type program that yeah. included a cash, right? And so now all of a sudden they're pitching to, to, um, angel investors because they now are investable yeah. and the money they need to execute, like to actually put this product in the market, they've already gotten a third of that before they've done their first angel pitch. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they've met a lot of really nice cows. I mean, they've met a lot of really <laughs> nice cows. <laughs> have to look at the bright side. Uh, that's good. Um, okay, so I really, you, you know, you have so much knowledge here. So I'm sure, you know, if you have to look back, right, like 20 years ago, and you have to give yourself an advice, what kind of advice will you will you give yourself? Hmm. I can tackle this one because he talked a little bit about risk and uncertainty, and I can yeah. tell you that. Uh, I am really financially risk averse, so I don't gamble. And also I discovered through this process that I really dislike uncertainty. And there's a whole story that goes with that. Um, that has to do with mountain bikes in Germany and being lost. Um, <laughs> and wanting to go back the way we came because we know it instead of going away that we don't know anything about, you know, so I have to constantly talk to myself about this uncertainty thing. It's yeah. my type A planning personality that doesn't like it. But I was once offered a year's salary to take an early retirement and um, leave the company. And I was so afraid of starting my own business that I didn't do it. And that's what I would tell myself. I would say, you know what, you've got something that you're capable of doing. You, you just, jump in and try it. Worst right. case, it's not successful and you have to go to plan B, but yeah. just jump in. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. And it, so when you say 20 years, like my frame of reference goes, okay, where were we 20 years ago? And I like tend to think more of like specific inflection points. And, and fortunately I, I don't look back and go, man, if I had only chosen path A instead of path B, um, I, I, I feel like we've ended up in a very fortunate place and, uh, you know, got a great family, great, we're, we're professionally, um, we're able to just do really fun and, and interesting and, and hopefully important work for uh, our students and, and the community uh, and any dramatic change in any decisions historically uh, could have, could have affected that. So um, there was that one time I wore the wrong shoes in my first marathon uh, and have struggled with knee issues ever since. So that's, that's probably <laughs> the advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like don't wear those shoes <laughs> or maybe try things out before, you know, before you jump in, make sure you've got, you know, a little bit of experiment to know what you're really getting into. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good advice. So if uh, there's any of the listener, right. That want to reach out to you, how can they, how can they come in contact with you? 
Well, so the good news is I think we are the only two Saxons at Indiana University. So you can go to Indiana <laughs> University Kelly School of Business and type in Saxton and you'll find one of the two of us online. Also, yeah. uh, we have a website, the titanicaffect.com. And believe it or not, people who read our book do send us emails to the website. We're having lunch with one of those on Monday. So nice. we do respond. Um, what else, Todd? Uh, feel free to email us directly. So we're both uh, at Indiana University. So it's at IU, like indianauniversity.edu. I'm T Saxton, T-S-A-X-T-O-N. Kim is M-K Saxton, uh, S-A-X-T-O-N. And, and please feel free to reach out. Uh, we, we love to connect with innovators, entrepreneurs. If we can be helpful, uh, happy to do that, but also happy to connect you to other folks that uh, are in a position to do so. So uh, thanks for the opportunity. Perfect. And yeah. I, I'm like, oh, yeah, continue. I was gonna say, we have like a, a two coffee rule even that, you know, we'll have coffee with you twice um, before we have to do something more formal. <laughs> Okay, I need some coffee then. No, um, okay. I'll make sure to uh, to put the link in the in the show notes, and it will also be on the uh, on the website on Mind Innovation uh, under this episode. So you will have easy, you know, to to contact both of you. So thank you so much. I, it was awesome, and uh, you know, just to to learn better uh, on you know what to do and what not to do. Um, and I really like you know the the skills because I think the skill set right now is just exploding what you need to have. And you, I always call call it in my backpack. Uh, but thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. Thank you that. so much for having us. Great, great questions. And uh, good luck to all the innovators out there and uh, enjoy the journey. Yeah, it's a long one. <laughs> <laughs> what will you do to unlock innovation? 